Welcome to Coastal Front, where we explore insights from leaders shaping our world. Today, we have the honor of hosting Tim Grant, the president of PCI Developments, a company renowned for iconic properties here in Metro Vancouver. Tim recently made a mark on Van Meg's 2023 Power 50 list, securing 35th position alongside formal Coastal Front guest Ryan Beattie. With a legacy spanning over 40 years in Metro Vancouver, PCI Developments has been the creative force behind more than 70 distinctive properties. PCI has pioneered projects, including Burrard Landing, where of course the famous uh, Vancouver Convention Center is located, the Infinity Building, where you can find Sport Check near Robson Square, Black and Blue and Coast Restaurant buildings on Alberni Street, Great Northern Way, with the iconic Nemesis Coffee building, that red curved roof, and Marine Gateway on Canby Street, cross-secting with Southwest Marine Drive. Currently, their innovative pursuits continue with major projects like the Granville Broadway Corridor, Marine Gateway 2, and Ontario and 4th. In this episode, we're going to discuss transit-orientated housing, rental housing solutions, and we'll take a look at housing supply and affordability from the lens of a developer. Tim, it's a pleasure to have you on the Coastal Front. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. So before we get into those hot topics of, of transit-orientated housing and, and purpose-built rental housing, um, for the listeners and viewers who might not be familiar with the PCI brand or PCI development, can you tell us a little bit more about your company? Yeah, well, uh, thank you. And so we're, we're at PCI, I think we're we're maybe most known for the orange signs where we're probably not great on marketing, but we're good at getting signs up and they've got the very distinctive orange. So you hopefully see some of those around the region. Um, we, we were founded in 1982. My, my dad with a group of partners founded the company in 1982. So being over 40 years in our business focused in Vancouver, I think that's something we're really proud of. Um, and I think a, a big focus for us is is mixed use uh, and the maybe different than some of our peers in the industry. Approximately 50% of what we do is commercial, 50% is residential, which, you know, in the Vancouver marketplace, uh, condo housing is, is predominantly most what we know about with our developers. So I think that's a that's an element and, and the ability to mix those uses where we can, particularly on transit, is, is a big focus for us. I have noticed that when looking at your portfolio, and I, I love mixed-use buildings. There's something really attractive about them, and I'm assuming there's got to be some, some core sort of community benefits, too, for having mixed-use buildings. Um, do you want to quickly touch on why mixed uses of interest to PCI, why you guys have chosen to kind of specialize in that space or you maybe have an interest in it? I think it goes back to what probably mid nineties, late nineties in that, uh, but a rapidly urbanizing city like Vancouver, um, the, the opportunity for mixed use. And I think the attraction for mixed use to, to people, uh, particularly in, in the downtown and maybe learning from some of the things that some, our team had seen in places like Hong Kong and, and feeling that that was where the, the world was going to be going. And uh, that, that's really been a big focus for us the last 25 years. At that time, things like sustainability maybe weren't noted as the big benefits. I think certainly that's generally accepted today that 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 enables us to achieve a lot of our sustainability goals. I think it's creating vibrancy and energy that people want to be a part of. So it's it's a I think mixed mixed use is really what makes our cities great and, and where people want to be. Yeah, I agree. Uh, now, obviously, for my introduction, you guys have a long history of some really iconic buildings here in Vancouver. But you've also got projects in pro in in sort of in play right now in various stages. Are there any particular projects, one or two, that you can speak about that you're very excited about? I, I think where we are today, 
housing is is I think top of mind for everybody. And commercial is a big part of what we do. You know, obviously the the office world is a bit in flux right now. Um, we are still very committed to to building office space where we can, and we we I think. I, I think we're very optimistic in terms of what the world looks like, although it, it, the office market is going to be different than maybe the way it was 10 years ago, but we certainly think there's real opportunity there. But I think today rental housing is really top of mind for everybody. Um, we have over 3,000 uh, rental units under construction or under application in the city of Vancouver, a large portion of which are in close proximity to, to transit. Uh, and then we've got another over 1,000 units um, Again, under construction, under application, and in two municipalities, Port Moody and, and our big uh, project in Surrey, King George Hub at King George Station. And I think that you know that that element, that opportunity for scale on transit, is something we're really excited about. Okay, great. Well, we might be be able to revisit those as we get into some of these topics, uh, questions around transit-oriented housing and, and rental purpose-built housing. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about is is Warrington PCI. What is that? That that's our sister company. Um, and so they're a, they're a property manager, uh, and we're, we're very proud that they are the largest commercial property manager in the province. And really? um, yeah, so anybody that has some commercial property management needs, uh, we know that the team at WPM would love to talk to them. Okay. So. And, and they, they, they manage a lot of our completed developments, and we think that opportunity to, to kind of be with them through the operation of the buildings is really important. What, uh, when you say completed developments, what would you... Um, when you look at the total history of 40 years, do you ever ca- kind of calculate like how many square feet or how many units you've you've built? I don't even know how you would describe that metric. Well, going back to the the bad marketers, I think a lot of people have that metric or yeah. that square footage um, available. We, we think it's somewhere over 8 million square feet. Wow. And I think the bigger thing is if you were to sit around with with the team, I think everybody gets a very personal relationship with the projects. And, uh, and you know, and, and I think that that's a big part of our business and the way we approach the developments is absolutely there's there's a financial angle, but there's a real emotional kind of um, into the detail aspect that I think is a big part of our culture. Okay, well let's get into the transit oriented housing topic. Vancouver's urban vision emphasizes a reduced car dependency. Uh, while developers like PCI aim to contribute to this vision through transit oriented developments, they often face significant hurdles due to local government approvals and policies. And obviously, you know, not exclusively for PCI. So something you hear from a lot of uh, real estate developers here in Vancouver is the challenges of working with government, largely uh, municipal or local government. How does PCI developments approach a transit-orientated project? And that's kind of a broad question, but do you have a particular approach you take to this? Well, I think one of the things is that's interesting and unique about transit particularly um, in a region like ours that that is relatively strong user of transit and I think that that's being shown coming out of COVID I believe Metro Vancouver is number one or number two in terms of a return to transit use and I think that's a good indicator of how important transit is in our region mm-hmm. um, you're dealing with a uh, a public interest in that infrastructure. You're dealing with a senior government interest in that infrastructure. So it's it's adding uh, additional stakeholders, and I think it's adding additional expectations in terms of what those projects are ultimately going to look like. And so that there's some opportunity there. You know, we, we look at what what has happened with South Granville Station, for example, that I think um, the community resoundingly felt that that there was a need for more than just what was provided under the old zoning there, uh, and that was something the provincial government was behind, uh, the city ultimately got behind, and I think that's a really good example. You know, the other side is is, is um, that, that there's a there's an accountability to those projects that if you don't deliver, um, 
you need to be optimizing that infrastructure the best you can. And so we try to be very mindful of that too. So the South Granville project, let's use this as a good example. This is um, on the corner, I think it's the is it the northeast corner yep. of yep. Uh, Burrard Street, no, sorry, 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 Granville Street and Broadway. Yep. Okay. So it used to be where the uh, Royal Bank used exactly. to be there. People would know if there's a Royal Bank there. Um, so how, how big of a project is that and what's being built there? So uh, what's being built there is uh, there's going to be ground floor retail and and the station entry to South Granville Station, um, which is which is unique in that we're delivering um, really the, the station box that the train is going to be connecting into at that corner. Uh, on the second floor, there's going to be a, a Loblaws City Market grocery store, which was a really important element that, that that neighborhood, frankly, doesn't have, you know, kind of walking access to a, a, a first-run grocery store like mm. that. Uh, above that will be 100,000 square feet of office, um, you know, and, and right now we don't have any tenants. So, again, you know, that's a very prominent space and a good west side location. But yeah. um, And then above that is all rental housing. And and twenty percent of those uh, rental housing units will be uh, secured for moderate income households, um, so it's about two hundred and forty units in total. Um, and we think that's a really important opportunity. That there's there's height and there's density being offered by the city, but I think it's it's density that's really responsive to the needs of the city today. Wow. So theoretically, someone could actually live in that building, work in that building, and go grocery shopping in that building. Absolutely, that, and get on the train when they're <laughs> going the train. and visiting their friends. Yeah, yeah. no, okay. exactly. That's that's the model user for sure. So it does seem like a real great model to work from. And one of the things that surprised me when we spoke before this um, interview was that there are other stations that don't have any kind of infrastructure built like this. It's literally just a station. Um, what are your views on that? Well, I think it's a lost opportunity for sure. And and if you go back historically, how how transit infrastructure has been delivered, there, there's never really been a thought about about the adjacent development. And going back to the Expo line, which is relevant to our King George Station project, um, we bought the King George site uh, over ten years ago. It was a large surface parking lot right adjacent to a terminus station that um, you know really just had people commuting daily, jumping on the train, coming downtown. Um, you know, fast forward to the Canada line where even, so this is kind of early 2000s when they're planning, that there was very limited thought about what that would do to land use and, and demands. And we look at our crossroads development, which was Kitty Corner to City Hall Station. Um, the city at that time held us precisely to the height and density that existed at that space for some time. Yeah. Um, Canada line open, I think it was a large success. You know, everybody... I think is well aware of, of how strong that ridership has been. And and the city was almost kind of presented with this thing that that land use is going to dramatically change. P people want to live at these stations. People want to work at these stations. They want to shop at these stations. And so that led into our Marine Gateway project where it was built as an integrated project after the fact. So, you know, we've got a uh, picture of our us with our six level excavation right adjacent to an operating station, which I think was, um, you know, very anxious times for everybody, but but that's what had to be done uh, with the opportunity that was presented by that station. Thankfully, today with the Broadway subway project, you know the city's been, I think, a bit more um, forward-looking in terms of what the Broadway subway is going to do for land use. One of the challenges with that is that they they went through a very long planning process that was sidetracked a bit by COVID, and so led to the situation where we're in a Broadway and Granville where where they kind of had to. To figure it out to not get in the way of the train construction so so ultimately two of the six stations are going to be built with integrated development um bo both of them are ours one at south granville and then one at 
Great Northern Wembley car station. Um, is that also your project? It is, okay. yeah. And, and we, we think those are going to be really, really exciting stations, world-class stations. When we look around the world, that integrated development is a really important part of kind of those iconic yeah. communities that people know about. Um, but just to make sure I'm clear here, so there's going to be six new subway stations built with this uh, Broadway subway, subway plan. Where does the first station start? The first station is is VCC Clark, which is there today. Yeah, uh, will extend to Great Nor- uh, Great Northern Way Emily Car Station, okay. which is at Great Northern Way in Thornton. And that's the first of the two integrated buildings that you've got. Yeah. And then the next station after that, uh, Main Street. So Main Street. Yeah, the Main Street station, which will yeah. be is being built by the province, kind of independent of any development. Okay. Uh, and then you move towards Broadway and Canby, which yeah. you know will will be tied in with the existing Canal Line station. Okay. And and our Crossroads project. Uh, and then you, you go to uh, Broadway and Laurel, which is VGH, you know, and yeah. again being uh, built independently by the province. Yeah. Uh, and then we go to Broadway and Granville, which um, will be ours and integrated. Yeah. And then um, all the way out to the current terminus, which is Broadway and Arbutus. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, Broadway and Arbutus is really interesting because, you know, hopefully that's kind of a short term terminus because I think we'd all hope that it's going to get out to UBC. Yeah. Uh, it should get out to UBC soon. Of course. Yeah. Um, crazy not to. Yeah, 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 but 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 just to make sure I'm clear, so you're saying that out of the six stations that are going to be built, only two are going to be what we described as integrated stations, where you've got shopping, office, residential building space, uh, and the other four is just a station. Yes, and there'd be provisions for like what we did at Marine Gateway, where the developer could come in after the fact and and try and integrate it, which is challenging, you know, particularly in a constrained urban environment. So yeah. I, I think... So, I mean, I, I'm going to say it because you may not want to, but I'm going to say this seems like a foolish approach to things. Like, I mean, when you describe to me your marine gateway, like, I'm glad you guys pulled that off and it's a beautiful area. So, I mean, drive down there and it's a, it's a bustling little, like, mini village within the city. Um, but the fact that you had to build it after the fact, imagine just engineering-wise alone would be very challenging. So who's making, or who's who are the people who are not making the right decisions here? Is it this is this municipal government that's making the call to let these buildings, uh, these these other four stations that don't have any integrated facilities, carry on, or is it the province, or who's making the calls here? I think I think it, it I think it's a combination of both. You know that the, the, I think in the case of the Broadway subway, that the province's focus rightly is making sure they're delivering that really important infrastructure. And, and the city needs to catch up in terms of land use decisions. And I think increasingly there's an awareness of the need for those to be very uh, closely coordinated. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I'm hopeful that projects like our South Granville one um, have really brought that to light. So I, I yeah. know that the city is really active on planning for the future UBC extension, trying to get ahead of it best they can with, with integrated development being a yeah. real goal. And, and I think that's what um, you know maybe people don't appreciate is that, that there's actually some really strong people uh, at the city level and also the provincial level that are really working hard on on transit and the importance of not only deliver that infrastructure, but the associated development. Yeah. And, and that's been really great in our world to see in probably the last five years that that the the focus and the expertise on those teams has, has really picked up and they're very actively engaged mm-hmm. with guys like us. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, you're being a lot more pleasant about it than I would be. I mean, I was my as far as my critical view is concerned, I mean, to me, this concept of integrated buildings in on each uh, station is just like a no-brainer. I don't know; it doesn't. It's not rocket science. It makes sense. That you've got a brand new major terminal being built. You should have shopping and office space. And 
mean, our, maybe even industrial, I don't know, but it seems, but I'm glad you guys are leading the way on that. Um, you mentioned earlier about the crossroads, and this is my question was going to be around the lack of foresight when it comes to zoning. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is that back at that time, um, which would have gone back to probably about 2006 or so. Yeah, yeah uh, right in there. Yeah. Not, not too bad on my time. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah. It was before it was built for the purpose of getting the, the line built to the airport for the Olympics. Yeah. And, um, and so it sounds like what you were saying is at the time, the government of the time in 06 wasn't uh, willing to kind of like allow you to build higher and bigger with crossroads. So they just be clear, this is where the Whole Foods is. And there's yep. also a, a, again, a Royal Bank, I think on the other end of that corner. And there's, there was a, you know, I think it was a milestones at a short life up and up. Yeah. Above and, yeah, yeah. And is there housing above that as well? There is. There is. Okay. And, and you know, anybody who wants to do kind of the real estate history of Vancouver, it's actually a really interesting example because it's kitty corner to what is going to be, call it out, outside of Waterfront Station, that the real hub of transit, you know, it's yeah, got two connecting sure. major lines now. Yeah. Um, and we were precisely held to, to the height at that time at Broadway. So it's a relatively short building. Uh, How many can, floors is that building? The, the, yeah, it's the, the residential building, I, I believe, is off Broadway is is only about four stories. That's nuts. Yeah. That's and crazy. When like, we had to have a bit more of an exemption. And it's a bit, of, you know, it's a funny site because there's a bit of slope to it. But you you go there today and you're kind of like, oh, it, it seems underbuilt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is only, call it 15 years ago. Um, and, and I think it's been really dramatic how the acceptance of transit and then is the desire for it to be a part of people's everyday lives has, has changed. And and that that test reinforces the need to get it right. I mean, that, that was a big part of the discussion through through South Granville Project and, and the city's Broadway plan is that absolutely there are pressures today that maybe make this uncomfortable. But th this is really precious infrastructure that's going to serve us for a long period of time. Yeah. You really got to make sure you get it right. You got to get it right. Absolutely. Um, so with respect to that concept of, you know, of, of lacking foresight, is there anything that you're dealing with here in um, Vancouver proper re with respect to these projects or other ones you're working on where you're banging your head against the wall going, man, this, these zoning bylaws in the city are not in tune with 2023 right now that should get changed and that maybe someone like Ken Sim, who's been on Coastal Front, know Ken quite well, uh, would want to be hearing from a developer like yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, we try to be very diplomatic, but th there's no way around. Right? The city approval process is way, way too slow. Yeah. And, and I think I think everybody knows that. I, I think it's so. not like you're the only guy saying that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ex and, and, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I think one of the things that Mayor Sim's done really well is just is really put the pressure on it and be asking why. And, and you, you know, our our limited dealings with, with him and, and that party, th there's been a lot of just, okay, why is it this way? Can we do it better? And I think if we were to encourage anything, I think it's just really focusing around that process. It, it just, it, it, for, for, you know, the, the person probably not involved in it day to day, a lot of it would just seem crazy. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for improvement there, which will lead to better outcomes. And I think even just, you know, the, the cost of these projects alone would be helped significantly by improving the time, improving the approval certainties, um, which over time should help supply and in turn, hopefully, moderate, uh, stabilize our housing costs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I read a report somewhere which uh, suggested that, I, I, I'm going to throw out a number, you tell me if this is right or not, but something like 20% or 25% of the cost for a developer like PCI to go and build an integrated building on one of these stations is attributed just to local planning 
efforts and time delays of, of having to wait to get approvals. Um, is that a, is that a fair statement? Is it? I, I mean, it's certainly seeing a cost. I mean, the one that stands out to my mind also is is the called the fees and things like that. And and I think various industry groups have done some studies, and somewhere between thirty and thirty five percent of a housing unit is wrapped up in 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 city fees and extractions. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, that's a really are these big in, in addition? You're including in this these uh, what are called I think community contribution. What they called CACs? Yeah, in the city of Vancouver, they call them CACs, community amenity contributions. Community amenity contributions. Yeah, and it's development cost charges and and all the various fees that we you know re- application fees and yeah. and water connection fees and all yeah. these things. So it, it does add up. It's a really significant element of it. But I mean, all that goes, if you're building housing, for example, I mean, that just goes, gets passed on. I mean, it's either comes out of your pocket or it comes out of the home buyer's pocket or a little bit of both. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, you know, everybody in this business, no matter how much they want to be committed to what they're building, they have to build something that's going to be worth more than it's going to cost to build. Right, of course. And And so any of those things, you know, ultimately leads to that. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why I love having guests like you on is because when I mean, the reason we've started Coastal Front in the first place is, you know, culturally here in Canada, we seem to like want to vilify success stories and people who are doing big things. And yeah, if they make a profit by doing it, good for them. That's my view, at least. I think it's great. And I think it encourages other young people to take a similar approach to it, take some risks, put some money on the table and see what you can, you know, you can pull off. Um, but of course, we do have a lot of people in our society here in Canada and, and especially on what I like to describe as the hippie West Coast where we kind of get we almost get angry over people that you know, these the, the sort of the view of like oh these developers they're just profit focused first and you know when I look at the work that you're doing I mean you mentioned this one project where it's it's a rental on Broadway and and uh, and um, Granville you've got a lot of rental housing there much of which is going to be what did you describe it as a b- below the, the, yeah, the city calls it moderate income moderate income housing. yeah um, so uh, can you maybe comment as to like, to help listeners, I mean, I know our listeners are probably aligned with you and I, but, uh, for those who maybe be critical and go, oh, these developers are just in for, but make a buck. I mean, obviously, like you said, you, you've got to produce something that's worth more than it costs you to build. Otherwise you, why would you do it? But can you maybe, uh, expand a little further to help, help address this, this, um, this myth that you guys are just profit driven only? Yeah. Well, and I think, to be honest, I think it's a fair comment in that we're, we're in a housing environment that's extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. And and um, I think for our, not recently, but but there was a period of time where, where the industry needed to work on some of the messaging about being aware of that and, and understanding the challenges. And I think we, we've crossed in a different space that I think everyone is recognizing that this is such a big issue. And there's a real renewed focus around rental housing, uh, ideally opportunities for below market housing. So I, I think the industry in general has has done a better job of trying to be responsive to those issues that are that are um, very real and facing our community. They're a huge constraint to our economy. I mean that there, there's there's I think it's a just the most pervasive issue we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that um, I think the opportunity for the industry to jump in and try and be a part of the solution is really important. I think you're seeing um, groups trying to do that. And and in our world, that is really focused around rental housing. But I think some of the condo guys are also, you know, mindful of opportunities to, to be helped in that regard. So I think there's a real opportunity for the industry to be a part of it. Um, I, I really hope that the powers that be in government, you know, recognize that to, to address this issue, everybody has to be firing on all cylinders and building housing. Yes. It's not going to be a public housing 
exclusively solution. It's not going to be a private housing exclusively solution. Yeah. Um, and, and we just, I think no matter what philosophy or ideology you approach it from, supply is a part of the solution. It might yeah. not be the 100%, but, it, but it's certainly a big, big part of the solution. I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Tim. I mean, to me, it's, I'm a free market capitalist, and I just firmly believe that most things in life are solved by letting the market find its way. And what I see as being a big problem is we just haven't allowed uh, both large developers like you, right down to the single family, you know, single builder that's just doing one family home at a time and everybody in between, just let these projects get approved. Maintain very high standards because we don't want us to look like, you know, some third world country and we want to make sure that projects are completed with proper type housing that people can live in safely. And, and But let's get them approved, get them going because it seems like, I mean, we know this Metro Vancouver and Vancouver in particular has a huge influx of migration, not from just abroad, but even just internally from our own province. Like you've got people coming from small towns where I grew up in other cities and um, we've got to, we've got to address it. Like we've got to get ahead of that. Yeah, a absolutely. I think, I think it's important to recognize the real significant opportunity Vancouver has. I mean, obviously we are very fortunate to live here. There's lots of fantastic things about Vancouver, but, but we also have uh, an acute housing need that provides a market that, we can address a lot of our issues through leveraging that market. Mm -hmm. And so if there are city priorities, economic, community, social, um, let's get them on the table. Let, let's work with more profitable uses, like in some, most cases, housing, yeah. to, to try and address those needs. And it, it doesn't need to all go back to the public sector to, to try and solve every problem. And, right. and I think if we can really work on our, our processing times, approval times, you know, approval certainty, yeah, there's a real opportunity for the private sector t to step in and try and continue to be part of the solution. And I think there's a lot of really good community attributes around the region that have been delivered in, in working closely with private development. Yeah, um, you know, in our little world, that's some of the station infrastructure, that's certainly some of the community facilities. Daycare is a big, big one today. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for for the private sector to to continue to expand what they do and and working with the city to relax some of those requirements. Yeah, uh, to make it feasible. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, with respect to um, potential home buyers, is there any particular policies either at the provincial or federal, but more like most likely at the municipal level, like very specific policy that you could see um, being changed that would make it a little easier for home buyers to get you know to get access to affordable housing in in our in our city? Well, I think you know the the one that we're dealing more with today is is rental housing. And and I yeah. think one of the reasons why that's really important is is aside from the the regular carrying cost of of buying a home, um, the, the down payment is is huge. Yeah. And and I, it's just it's such a barrier. And and I just don't think as a city we can be trying to be a vibrant, inclusive, uh, economically supportive place without with such a high barrier to housing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that the cities and the province talked about is, is things like the affordable home ownership program. So, so can you have housing that's maybe structured in a way that people can be working their way into? Um, the city and the province could play a role in that. That's something that we've talked about with them over the years. And, and again, you know, going back to that idea that that there's an opportunity for some collaboration to address some of these issues. You know, all those ideas are good ones if if we can have. Um, you know, a straightforward path to be able to build some of these buildings and and do the types of things that the communities want to see. Yeah. Okay. Um, You've mentioned uh, rental housing quite a bit, and that was the second topic that I wanted to get into. So let's let's talk a bit more about that specifically, um, and we can always jump back to to the uh, transit oriented housing. 
they, it seems to me from what you're telling me, actually they're integrated. I mean, you, your project on Broadway and Granville is both. It's transit oriented and it's rental housing. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely, and, yeah, okay. very much so. Um, I'm curious to know if I put my, you know, put myself in your seat. You've got a piece of land, maybe it's on a transit line, and you're trying to decide you and your planners on on what to build. Uh, I'm going to dumb this down to real simple. Like we have an option to build a bunch of strata units, like condos that we can sell to the market, or we can build a bunch of rental housing that we can then, I guess, you sell it to like an insurance company or a pension fund, and then they or you keep it yourselves and you rent it out. How do you kind of like make that decision? Like what what, what kind of goes into that decision-making process? Yeah, no, it's it's a really good question. I mean, I, I think um, condo development on a profit on cost basis is is more lucrative. You know, you, you have a cash okay. event at the end of the project. It's, right. it's relatively assured because you've done your pre-sales, but, but you have no continuing involvement in the income stream from, from that investment. Okay. Um, you know, whereas rental housing, more probably your guys' world, you know, from an institutional perspective, is a very attractive investment, or or you know, private capital or whatever that right. might be. So it's it's a it's a stable, um, relatively low risk return, um, but but it's a very low going in return. Yeah, and so it did takes a different investor profile for sure. Um, the institutional investor uh, in Canada, I think, is a big part of the opportunity of rental housing. Is is in the last you know, 10 years coming out of the global financial crisis, that there's been a recognition of, of the potential for um, a stable, relatively low risk investment in rental housing, particularly in Canada's major markets that were extremely undersupplied. And I think sometimes that institutional investor gets vilified in that rental housing conversation, which, which would be completely mm-hmm. counterproductive to, to, you know, the role they do play in establishing um, more supply and, mm-hmm. and, you know, a very high quality rental sector. Yeah. Are you seeing a shift at all in say the interest of institutional investors today with higher interest rates? Like, is that, is that become a factor both either negative or positive? Um, I, I think there's, there's caution, you know, maybe more because of the, the broader kind of macroeconomic story, maybe, yeah. maybe less just because of interest rates themselves. Um, and, and no question, interest rates are making investment cases harder and harder to to, to make. You know, it's it's more challenging. It's a, a significant increase to a very important cost. Yeah. Um, but but I think that the principles are remaining the same, and and I think just the good real estate investment principles are remaining the same. Is that you know a, a stable, high quality investment in in well located places, and I think this this same very much holds true for the office market. You know, we we built mm-hmm. a New building at 601 West Hastings, so uh, Hastings and um, Seymour, just okay. across from Waterfront Station. And going, it was about going into COVID. It could have been leased a few times over. We had a big change in COVID. So today, about 18 months after completion, it, it's just almost 50% leased. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I've heard the office space is quite, it's in a twi- tough market right now. Yeah. And and it's but it's a it's a great building and a great location and absolutely we'd love to have it fully leased on day one and we certainly intended to do that yeah but but over the long term um, we think it's going to be fine mm-hmm. and it's it's well located real estate um, high quality amenities attractive attributes that we think in kind of this short term period it's going to come out of it and, and be just fine and I think that's very similar for for the case for rental housing okay. Um, when it comes to the rental housing um, option versus condos, 
Is there any um, incentives being offered to developers like you today to to go and 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 lean towards a rent? Like if you ran the math and your teams, your your accountants on your team are like, hey, Tim, like this is a great property. We're not going to make as much if we do rental housing as if we did a condo. Um, is there any kind of incentives to kind of swing you towards the rental direction by government to help you with that? Yeah, it is re- really, really important that that they're there. And and the, so the city of Vancouver uh, hadn't really done a lot of that until about ten years ago. Okay. And and they started adding in a situation where you could build additional density for rental housing. So oh, I so see. in okay. simple terms, you could take a building that could build four stories a condo, and they would be able to build you you would be able to build six stories of rental housing. Okay. That that was that was still financially would still wait towards condo, yep. but it was close enough that you could start to make those decisions. And so we had a few of those that we were able to to push towards rental housing. Mm-hmm. So that additional density is really important. And and I think throughout Broadway and the Broadway plan, there's an element there that says if you're going to build rental housing, you can build this. If you're going to build condo, you can build that. And um, the rental housing is generally higher density, which is really important to make it work. The, the other thing that's really important in the rental housing space and particularly with some of the bull market housing is CMHC and they've got some some financing programs that are that are very favorable if you're willing to include some bull market housing okay and in in the recent years that's been a big part of facilitating um, a lot of the projects that okay. you've seen so that's good that's good that these policies are around to kind of help help provide that market because otherwise I could see it if I was in your shoes like why would I build rental housing if I could make a lot more on the condo space yeah, yeah. absolutely um, so this this month, uh, Premier David Eby, also a two-time guest on, on Coastal Front, uh, was quoted on uh, X, which is formerly Twitter. Uh, he said that the only way to tackle the housing crisis is to build more housing faster. We need everybody at the table and use every tool. That's why I'm thankful for the federal government to have responded to our ask to eliminate GST on new rental construction. So my simple question is, this announcement, which I think most people took note of, seemed like a big announcement. I don't know if it actually is really material. That's why I'm asking you. Is this a material event? Is this eliminating GST? And of course, you know, with Trudeau government, I'm pretty critical of him. I mean, it's always devil in the details, right? So I don't even know how, you know, what what entails this elimination of GST and what does, it doesn't. Um, what is your view on that announcement? It, it is very significant. Okay. And, and it's been a conversation that's been going, you know, I, I was joking with my father that he remembers being on a delegation that went to Ottawa on it um, almost 30 years ago, you know, that, and, and so I think it's been a progressive campaign since then. So, so very much credit to, to the federal government for, for making that move today. It's been talked about for a long time and, and it, it is, you know, very high dollar values in terms of savings. Um, in our little world, we had a 55 unit rental apartment building on uh, East Hastings at Boundary that was frankly infeasible to move forward. Um, we really wanted to do it, but we were just a little bit offside on where we needed to be. Um, this announcement changes that. So we're going to be able to get that project started in the next wow, month or so. Amazing. Yeah. And so that, that's just, yeah. I, and I think there's developers across the country that are probably have a similar story. Um, so yeah, no, I think definitely okay. material. Well, this, if there's any politicians listening to this podcast right now, there's a good example of a builder, but clearly the margins aren't that wide, that thick. If like 5% is going to lean towards whether, whether a project goes ahead or not. So it's nice to see that they um, they have recognized that you know cutting taxes can actually spur on the economy. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> um, last week, uh, Mayor Ken Sim, who also has been on Coastal Front, also quoted on X, formerly Twitter, he said, "We're taking bold action to address this housing crisis. 
Tonight, we took a huge step forward to increase housing attainability and build more homes faster by allowing multiplexes across all low density residential zones in the city of Vancouver. Now, I know you're not probably in the business of multiplexes. Uh, you, you're building much bigger than that. But being that you've been in the building industry, largely your whole working life, even when growing up as a kid doing that, what is your view on this little policy by our local government to allow uh, uh, multiplexes across uh, all low-density residential zones? Well, yeah, and, and I certainly, I mean, that's maybe not directly our world, but but I can say that on one hand, it's, it's going to be relatively small in terms of the pace of change. You know, you, you're kind of dealing with with a few units, few units there, which is great. Um, and and I think we just also point that it's really important with that, that, that more dramatic change can happen on the larger, more urban sites where you can get a lot more units in a right. single place. But I think the thing that, that Mayor Sam is doing extremely well, I, I also think Premier Eby and, and his colleagues in the province are doing well, is setting the tone for what the expectation is, is that it's very clear that housing's a priority. We want to move quickly. Um, the, the, particularly the province are, are increasingly picking up the pace with making it very clear what the expectation is. Mm-hmm. And that's giving, I think, the cover for municipal politicians and, and a couple of the communities we deal with that, um, that that really matters is when their constituents are saying, well, this feels like a lot of change. They can point to the province and be saying, no, no, that, like this is this is best practice. This this is what we need to be doing. Yeah, and and I really hope that the province and, and Mayor Sim and their group can keep that messaging up because I do think that's making a difference and and making its way through at the municipal staff level as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I, it seems to me that that's what we need to see happen because it's, I mean, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors per se, but like when I think of the messages you hear from. Uh, from both the liber- federal liberal and conservative and NDP. I mean, they all say we need more housing. Provincially, they all say that. The BC United, uh, David Eby and the N- NDP and Ken Sim and the ABC party. And it seems like this this challenge sits inside the bureaucrats that run the actual city more than anything else. Yeah. And so it sounds like what you're saying is like, if we got that political messaging coming from all three levels of government, it's going to kind of put pressure on those um, on those people working at the city to like, you know, basically um, move faster. And, and having some accountability to it. Right. You know, that, that okay, th- this application sat here for three years. Like yeah. that, that, that's, that there isn't a municipality probably in the world that would have that be the norm. But, yeah. you know, the reality is that that's a very normal occurrence here. Yeah. And, and th- there's a real opportunity to, to pick up the pace. Yeah. A lot of people who we do do these podcasts and we get feedback on are critical over the word affordability. Um, and you know, we've, I actually, we had a good chat about this with, um, Bob Rennie, uh, and his view was that one of the challenges that we face in Metro Vancouver is that each municipality is kind of trying to do their own thing and it needs to be a more broader Metro Vancouver, uh, sort of strategy applied because people, many people, most people will work in one municipality and live in a different one. Um, Tim, one of the questions uh, that I want to ask is about what is affordable housing? Because, you know, when I talk to the young people who work for me, you know, these are people making anywhere from seventy dollars to $100,000 a year. And as you said earlier, that you've got to come up with this massive down payment. I mean, you know, even though the condo sector, as far as I understand, has kind of softened a bit here in, in downtown Vancouver, I mean, you're still looking at like north of $700,000 for a tiny little box. Um, so... 
Do you have any thoughts around this sort of wording? Because it seems like you almost bring it up with certain people and they get like really agitated. It's like, that's not affordable, yeah. which probably is true. I agree. Like, And, and I think to, to, I mean, it's about relative affordability in our region. And, and unfortunately, we are living in a region that, that the housing cost is, is out of, uh, has lost connection with local incomes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think hopefully we're going to see some income growth and the economy is a big, big part of that for sure. But but normalizing the housing cost is is critical, mm-hmm. and and again it goes back to that supply conversation. Right. And I think what what has happened is is the reverse of probably what people want. You know, call it the last year, or two years, we've seen the rental market just continue to escalate because we're in a very constrained supply market. And and in the case of Vancouver, it's not just about how much it costs; it's even having the opportunity to rent housing. Period. Like it, it's not. The case where there's always vacancy in these buildings, you know, we're going through a lease up right now uh, in the Hastings and Boundary area in Vancouver, and and again the building's oversubscribed, and it you know it's it's just it, it, it doesn't feel good to, to be on the call it the landlord side in that situation either. Yeah, we're having to turn away tons of people, is what you're saying. A- absolutely. Yeah. You know, and and then um, and and again you're. The, the rents are challenging in this context. It's yeah. the rents we need to be able to make these projects viable. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. it, it's kind of a you know a self perpetuating cycle. Yeah. Well, it's one of, again one of my other criticisms is this um, rent increase cap that the provincial government has put into place. Well, I do I do really like what David and the BCNDP have done in some ways in trying to push forward more approving more housing projects. They've also put these these limits in, and I think if I was a if I was an investor, I would not want to invest in rental properties today because, like, I can't increase my rents by more than two percent a year, and inflation's far higher than that. And 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 what's interesting, if you look at that CMHC report that comes out every January, which is the rental housing report, you probably read it. Um, what's fascinating is even though it shows you that it doesn't work, because even though the there's landlords out there that can't increase their rent by more than two percent a year, the average house, uh, rental property last year in 2022. That became vacant and then reopened for a new renter to come in went up by 42 percent yeah so you almost have like this this like 80 to 90 percent of the population that generally any given year don't move because people don't move homes every year um so you know got 80 90 percent of the population that don't move and they just see their rents go up by no more than two percent a year um and i would assume that that causes investors to go well i'm not going to put any more money into my property so now you're going to have more decrepit buildings that have start breaking down and I mean you know yards aren't being taken care of walls aren't being painted carpets aren't being changed and then you've got this small amount of movement where renters leave and then it's almost like the landlords have to like future they have to future proof their their rents by almost asking more than they should for today just to protect themselves for the fact that for the next five years they might not see their rents go up by more than two percent a year yeah what's your thoughts on that yeah I agree and, and we're seeing it um, firsthand, I mean, uh, th- th- this past month, we've had the lowest turnovers in the rental buildings that we- we've seen in recent memory. Right. Be- because people know that they're sitting in rents that are well under market. Yeah. But in turn, that's now reduced the amount of available supply for people that are they're looking for new homes. Yeah. So, you know, it's a really challenging situation. I-, I think that the rental growth increase is a really important thing because it's not just about that the rent that's going into a landlord's pocket, but it's the one that's covering expenses. And I think it's yeah. been well documented how much inflation has, you know, been an issue all the way through the economy. That the one thing I would point out and just give a bit of kudos to the city of Vancouver as a housing department. And one of the things that we jumped into working with them on was this moderate income 
housing and they brought out what they called a pilot program a few years ago to kind of try a program to, to do that. And one of the deals is that they would, they would uh, refine it over time to try and address those issues. One of the things that they found was that they were too rigid on how those modern income rents could be inflated. Okay. And so they're, they're updating that this fall to, to try and be responsive to that. And I think for, for them and the, you know, the typical bureaucracy of what a city could be, you know, for them to, to follow through with that and be responsive to the market conditions, I think is a really important thing with, so guys like us can be like, okay, we had faith in this program before they followed through and saying what they were going to do. We're going to keep trying to be really focused on doing some of these things. And if they weren't able to do that and refine these programs, um, it'd be hard, as you say, for us to keep kind of investing in that. And I think that's hopefully a good learning across all levels of government is just to, to stay on top of it and keep refining as we go. And it, mm -hmm. it all can't just be absolutes. Well, it's nice to hear that you're getting that kind of reception from City Hall. So it sounds to me like uh, Mayor Sim and his team are, are changing the culture there. So that's great. Um, I had the pleasure of having Ryan Beatty on. I'm sure you know Ryan. Um, he's a pioneer and his dad was as well in the industrial space. Now, I know you have a view and I'd like to hear, I have our listeners listen to this about how we can integrate industrial real estate. I mean, we talked, for example, your Broadway and Granville corridor there. That project is a combination of of uh, the obviously the the subway line, a gro Loblaws grocery store. You've got some office space, um, and then you've got some rental housing above. But uh, we haven't talked about industrial. And one of the things I've observed as a, a very longtime resident here in Vancouver is how our industrial real estate's getting pushed out further and further and further from the Vancouver downtown core, which I got to think is going to have some you know some problems to do with our is going to be some challenges economically for us. I don't know. What are your views on industrial real estate and how do you integrate that into places where people also want to live? Yeah. And and that's, I mean, the, probably a less publicized, call it crisis, but but we have an industrial land issue and, and, and I call it an industrial space issue. And one of the things that's underpin Vancouver's real estate market, it's just constrained land supply. You know, we have a border, we have the ocean, we have the mountains, and you've got a relatively small region to, to fit a lot of activities in, 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 in that space. So from an investment perspective, that's been a barrier to entry. Um, but from a competing interest for, for land supply, it creates some challenges. And historically, that the residential land use has been pitted against um, industrial land and, and the ALR. Um, and then you add in transit, which typically gets put into industrial areas because of the railway corridors and things like that, that, that really changes that, that dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, so. I believe, we believe there's a real opportunity to be thinking about them as complementary, not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And and the city of Vancouver particularly has been really focused on them being completely separated and you can't have the two together um, for a long, long time. And we're hopeful that that mindset's starting to shift and that we don't really have a choice anymore. You know, our land has got to work hard and there's a real opportunity to use the residential density to support the really high infrastructure requirement that industrial has. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a really specific example, there's there's four stations, uh, transit stations in the city of Vancouver that up until the last year or so were precluded from residential uses by a regional growth strategy. Um, regional Metro Vancouver has now updated that strategy. They pointed out that there's a real opportunity for, for housing, particularly rental housing at these stations to be done in conjunction with the job space. And, you know, we look at our Marine Gateway, what, what we've got a big movie theater, Marine Gateway, so we call it Marine Gateway 2, very original idea. <laughs> but um, right, right there at the Marine Drive Station, we think there's a real opportunity to build a lot of industrial space, about six times what's there today, and then add in a really significant amount of rental housing and 
a large community amenity. And yeah. there's a similar condition of BCC Clark Station where we've got another development. And then there's other two throughout the region. So that ours are working on. I think that's a real opportunity. They're big sites mm-hmm. to make a big move. And we, we just hopefully working with some of the industrial users are going to be able to change that discussion to recognize the real opportunity to have the two working together. Yeah. Yeah. It's well said. I agree with you as well. Knowing that area, South, South Vancouver, I guess you could call it, um, you, you know, you look at all that industrial area and they're all sort of one or maybe two story buildings. They take up a lot of land. They're needed. You know, those industries are needed because that's the kind of nuts and bolts of our, of our economy. Uh, but to, to kind of like give up all that extra space above those floors seems a little bit of a, uh, of a waste. Yeah, absolutely. And and also the nature of that industrial job in the city of Vancouver is changing. You know, mm-hmm. and, and our aspirations around uh, the green economy and tech and digital media, all those things, that's an element of it. Apparel is a big element of it. Distribution. You know, the, the workers working in there isn't kind of the old school guy swinging a hammer. Net. That's so right. They value all the same things that, you know, workers in the office space do. They want amenities. They want to yeah. be living close to where they work. They want to be able to get on a train. Like there's a really op- opportunity here to kind of treat that worker with with a modern lens. Yeah. And I think that will really help support Vancouver's competitiveness in that really desirable economic space. Well, you definitely know what you're talking about and you're talking to a guy that this touches on because aside from this, I actually have an EV charging business that I've launched. Okay, and, well, there you go. And we're, we're looking for for space and we went we went down to, to the, actually very close to the Grand, uh, sorry, the um, Marine Gateway area and we were looking for some industrial property, but like our industrial, like we're not we're not dealing with oils and hammers and stuff. We're just dealing with like EV charging units that we have to store that get shipped in from abroad, and then like tinker with them as they get go out the door. Um, but I need a combination, so I don't need a ton of industrial space, but I need enough to be able to house these things. But I also need office space because the guys that are working there are also working in an office and then they need to have amenities, right? Like they gotta be able to be close to a transit station or they have to have parking. Like I'm amazed at these industrial spots, how little parking there is, Yeah. you know? So you know, I, I unfortunately had to turn away a lot of these because they just, you know, the staff are going, well, where am I going to park? Where am I going to get lunch? You know, like where am I going to maybe drop off my, you talked about daycare, where am I going to drop off my kids for daycare? So this, I love your terminology, integrated uh, buildings or integrated facilities, because that truly is what we need to build to have a, a, a kind of a smart city, right? Absolutely. And but exactly what you're describing, I think, is bang on. Because then you go back to the, the, the what you said earlier about kind of Vancouver's economy and the way we've done it. But Vancouver is, is a city of small business, you know, and entrepreneurs. And yeah. we don't, uh, and, and having that small bay industrial space and desirable areas is really important. And supporting that economy, having it be at a cost that's approachable for those businesses is really important. You can do that with significant residential density above. You take away that density, it's very difficult to build new buildings to, mm-hmm. to the type of rents that those users need to see. Yeah. So I, I think I'm hoping that conversation is going to change because yeah. uh, it's been very rearview mirror looking to this point. Yeah. Well, this is good. Well, we need we need to have conversations like this so that people can hear it. And uh, I'm look keep keep doing what you're doing. So we have Tim Tim Grand, president of PCI Developments. Thank you for coming on Coastal Front today. It's been a great conversation. Keep up the great work and the amazing projects. I mean, all those buildings that you've uh, you've built so far. I've I've been to most of them. They're they're wonderful, beautiful buildings. Um, so keep doing what you're doing. It's, it's excellent work. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you guys for what you're doing. It's yeah. a it's a neat initiative you guys have. Yeah. Thank you, Tim Grant president of PCI Developments.